Welcome to a special edition of Breaking Badness. In this episode for the Human Element miniseries, we are joined by Charity Wright, Cyber Threat Intelligence Advisor at Insights. We sat down at RSA to discuss strategies to mitigate the skills gap in security, the dark side of Latin America report, and diversity of thought. This special episode of Breaking Badness is next. I'm here with Charity Wright. Very excited to have you here. Thank you so much for making time to stop by and have a conversation. Thank you. This is really exciting. I'm glad to be here. I just um, accidentally walked by the Insights booth uh-huh. and saw Charity doing a fantastic presentation. And so I feel like I got a spoiler alert for some of the stuff we're going to talk <laughs> about today, which is really exciting. So That's perfect. Yes. I'm very pumped to have you here. And um, hopefully we'll have a good time, tell some really bad jokes, potentially, if it feels right, you know, feel free to get uh, goofy with it. But um, <laughs> the first question I like to ask for these types of shows is, is really thinking about what has changed between where we were in 2019 when we're at this conference in this painfully bright light, bright lit room. <laughs> yeah. And I like to come at it from a positive angle first, because I know we often start with the dreary side in security. Uh-huh. So what do you think we've improved or done better since 2019? Oh, gosh. Um, So much happens in one year. I feel like as an industry, we're really nailing automation and like making huge strides in automation. I know for, for my company at Insights, we have automated remediation processes that are really stopping threats before they even happen, you know, so... And I'm observing that with other tools around the industry as well. So it's great to see the kind of competition between all the different vendors, always like pushing the limits for machine learning and AI and really figuring out like, how can we do this smarter and faster? Absolutely. It's promising. That is good to hear. And walking the floor too, I feel like that's definitely a... uh Something you see frequently is the automation and machine learning language, um, some AI stuff, which makes, have you ever seen the PHP CEO Twitter account? No. It's all caps yelling and it's totally a satire (laughs) account. But one of my favorite tweets is they were like, who is this Al? How do I hire Al (laughs) instead of like AI? Anyway, that gets me every time. That's awesome. But it's definitely something that's coming. We actually just did a report uh, with Poneman Institute. It's a survey conducted about automation in the US and the UK. Um, and looking at the skills gap. Um, And it was kind of curious to see this pendulum that happened between 2019 and 2020, because we've done the report for three years. And in 2019, there was a really positive sentiment around automation. And then in 2020, you see this shift where people are actually concerned about losing their jobs, which is something we're very familiar with when it comes to technology, Mm -hmm. obviously, of this cycle of people's concern about being automated um, out of a job. Yeah. I don't see yeah. that happening. <laughs> I would agree. Yeah, but it is it is curious to see that. So I'm curious in 2021 if that will shift back or if people will be leaning harder into that as vendors start their uptick in, in yeah. AI and ML type um, well, automation I mean, services. There's such a shortage in the industry of people, and yeah. I don't think it's because there's not people that are qualified. Right. I think we just have to change our strategy for hiring and think outside the box. Absolutely. Like I know in cyber threat intelligence, we're... we're there's typically two paths to getting into CTI. It's you have military intelligence experience or an agency, or you have an IT degree. And there's more than that. There are people out there that have worked in legal, have been attorneys, um, really smart, teachable people out there that think outside the box. So I think um, 
you know, automation is improving and it will improve the way we work and work smarter, not harder, but we're still going to need the human element. Absolutely. And I love to evangelize that because essentially we're fighting cyber threats and that is a human being on the other side of that tactic tool or IOC that yeah. you're looking at. And I love to explore, you know, the human side of threat actors because we also know how to counter human threats. So, right. Well, I feel like I have to take the bait now that you've brought this up and we have to talk about the research that you've been doing. Yeah. You have a huge report. By the time this podcast has come out, it's going to be available. So I'll make sure to link it. Um, but I just want to give you an opportunity to talk about it. I saw a little bit of it at the presentation. Yeah. Tell, tell our audience a little bit about it. Okay. Awesome. Um, it's called The Dark Side of Latin America. And it, it really explores the threat landscape in the region and emerging threats that are coming out of the region. And our reason for really exploring this region is nobody's talking about Latin America, and I feel like they should be. There's a lot of cybercrime happening there, some very unique trends and threats that are not being addressed in the security world. And I think maybe that might be because they have historically struggled to come up with the budget for security tools. Mm. So maybe vendors are just not paying attention as much as they should be. Um, but last year, we had an incident response case for one of our customers. They're a large bank in Colombia. And they came to us and said, we're experiencing these persistent phishing attacks that just won't stop. And it seems like some kind of coordinated, sophisticated threat actor. Can you help us figure out who it is and where it's coming from? Yeah. And so we were like, oh man, maybe this is an APT. What are they after? You know, cause you just jump to that conclusion right away. <laughs> when you think about sophisticated attacks, um, what we found was that it was just a low level criminal who was mm. basically perfecting a new type of phishing campaign and a new tactic. And so we, um, that led us to discover that he is from Venezuela. He moved to Colombia for um, better internet infrastructure to launch these kinds of attacks against big banks. And so we started looking into what's happening in Venezuela to drive cybercrime like this individual because it's, they're experiencing very high rates of cybercrime and they're not really sure how to counter it. And our findings were... Um, that the threat landscape in Latin America really creates this perfect storm for hackers. And um, one of the factors is uh, economic, um, you know, situations like poverty and corruption, bribery, um, lack of law enforcement, catching cyber criminals. Um, and then you have a very financially motivated threat actor because... They are, like, especially in Venezuela, they're fleeing hyperinflation and an economic crisis. It's a humanitarian crisis. And so what we're observing is a lot of people are leaving that country and going to neighboring countries and getting into cybercrime as a way of mm. providing for their families. And as sad as it is, um, they've really become very good at what they're doing. And it's hurting the organizations in that region really bad, especially retail finance, tourism, hospitality, and manufacturing. And so this report, we, we cover all of the different aspects of the threat landscape that create this kind of perfect storm for cybercrime. And then we talk about some of the emerging threats that we discovered. And our number one finding was that there is this conjoining and marriage between organized crime groups and cartels mm -hmm. and the hacker community, which is really scary. 
Because if you think about it, the hackers are very financially motivated. The cartels have the money and they're willing to lure the hackers in with like goods and services and nice vehicles. And hey, you can have this lifestyle too. Right. And, um, and so they're, you know, it makes sense. The organized crime groups are like, okay, we could go hit a bank and risk our lives or we can just hire a really sophisticated hacker to do some banking malware and steal the money for us. Wow. And we'll pay him a big cut. Um, and so this has huge implications on enterprises in the region, but also around the world. Because as we know, like cybercrime is not um, isolated to just one country, one region. Uh, we're talking about threats that are being spread around the world. Absolutely. Um, man, I'm so excited to read this report. <laughs> Everybody read this report. It's amazing. It's going to be good. <laughs> it's at insights.com. Yes. Um, it's interesting. So I talked to Jennifer Leggio um, about this a little bit. We were talking about this in the context of elections, but when we're talking about the impacts of what happens in 2020, one of the big things is if we move into a recession, there will likely be more cybercrime activity. Mm. But I'm curious too, because I know you've done quite a bit of research around, you know, our democracy, (laughs) what we should be maybe concerned about for 2020. And I'd be curious if you have any thoughts on maybe the top things that we should be prioritizing in your opinion to help maintain the integrity of our our democratic system, essentially. Yeah. Um, I think, general awareness of disinformation is really important. And I think that we have come a long way with that over the past few years, like really investigating and understanding how certain state-sponsored groups are using disinformation to sway elections and disrupt democracy. But um, they're not the only ones. I had a meeting yesterday with a company that focuses solely on disinformation campaigns. But there are also companies out there that offer that as a service attacking other companies so it's kind of like a business intelligence um issue when they're like countering their their competitors with disinformation like trying to draw customers away from their competitors so i think um it's really interesting how it's evolving right now because there is this element of psychology of like how people are so easily influenced And it really has a lot to do with the platforms that we trust, like Facebook and Twitter. These are the platforms that many Americans, you know, they're on there every day. They're talking to family and friends and they literally believe everything they see on Facebook. It's so it's so um, harmful to our society. So spreading awareness of, hey, not everything you see out there is true. And also I encourage people to not engage with strangers in political debates because essentially you don't even know if you're talking to an American about the Democratic Party or if you're talking to a Russian operative. Uh, So like just disengage from that. Um, Not to say that we shouldn't have political discourse in our country, but there are other avenues and ways to to do that other than, you know, Facebook groups. where a lot of the disinformation is coming from. Right. we got to take the advice we give to children, (laughs) not talking to strangers. Don't have competitive fights with strangers on Facebook. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, (laughs) my kids often come to me and tell me they saw something on TikTok or on Mm. YouTube, and they're like, well, that's what I heard, Mom. And I'm like, that is not the truth. Not everything you see on these channels is true. Right. But, yeah, we have to stay aware of that threat. And also just, you know, lock down your privacy settings. Make sure that nobody is able to influence you outside of your own network, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that goes back a little bit to what you're saying, too, about making sure we hire people with different backgrounds. You're talking about the psychological impact of these campaigns. Absolutely. Um, it'd be really interesting to have to have more folks like that in InfoSec to help us combat these very issues. I agree. It'd be fantastic. I agree. It's a hard one. Yes. It's yes. a hard one to combat, yeah. Absolutely. Um, and I am curious, too, going back to our original discussion about what we're doing well in the industry, obviously the flip side is what do we need to improve? And I'd love to pick your brain on that a little bit, too. Okay. Um, who? Let me think about that. <laughs> Everybody kind of responds similarly, like, how long is this podcast? How much time do I have to, <laughs> to yeah. talk about what we can do better? Well, I'm thinking of it in the context of RSA, but I'm thinking about, um, you know, big conferences and what we're seeing and observing. Mm. Um you know, we, we were talking about the diversity thing. I think yeah. I just have to go there. Go uh, there. There are lots of things we can do to improve technically and improve our capabilities for fighting cyber threats. But I think one of the biggest issues we have in the industry that's holding us back from advancing is not being diverse enough and staying closed-minded about who, who we need to hire and what they look like. Absolutely. Um, I once had a journalist ask me, what does a cyber operative look like? And I was like, uh, first of all, I don't think this is very relevant, but um, if you look around at conferences like this, it's very much, um, it, it's very much male. It's very much white. Not that I have a problem with any of that, but we need to increase diversity and allow minorities and women more opportunities in this industry, bring in different viewpoints from around the world and you know, different mindsets on things so that we can think outside the box and fight these cyber threats. Absolutely. Yeah, and I'm just thinking too about, you know, the research that you did and um, something that comes up in the diversity conversation quite a bit is when you're, you have people coming from places in the world where there's not the same level of infrastructure that we have here in, say, the U.S. or other, or in other developed countries. Right. Um, that they have a completely different approach to problem solving, right? Yeah. And so how could that not be incredibly valuable? So there's just so much opportunity there. And yes. when we're talking about the skills gap, that's uh, from pretty much everybody I've interviewed. It's not a question of people, like you're saying. It's we need to open up what it means to be in cybersecurity and what people fit Absolutely. that mode. There's yeah. so many different roles. I mean, just in cyber threat intelligence, um, you know, we need to be hiring people with diverse backgrounds, like legal backgrounds, people that understand uh, takedowns of infrastructure, like what both of our companies do. Yeah. You know? And I'm curious, too, um, because you mentioned you, you have the background in, in the Army, um, and I can't remember if we were talking about that offline, so I'll just mention that contextually yeah. in the podcast. But what are some skills from your time in the military that you wish more people had or, or look for in people that potentially that you're hiring or your company is hoping to work with? Okay. Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I joined the Army in 2005. I was 22 years old. And I was like halfway through college. Up until that point in my life, I had been pretty shy and kind of uh, introverted, um, but in, in an unhealthy way. I was very insecure about a lot of things. And something I learned in my military experience is just confidence and leadership. Um, and I think that comes through very rigid training, but also having really good mentors and leaders above you. Hmm. So you can look at the bad ones and be like, I am never going to be that type of leader and look at the really good ones and be like, how can I emulate this with my own people? 
and they put you in a position where they train you up, they give you all the tools and skills you need, and then they give you a team to manage and to lead. And I think that's one of the most valuable things I got from my military time um, is knowing how to confidently lead and how to be vulnerable and really about servant leadership. In the army, they teach you that you are serving your people and like you enable them to go do their jobs. So definitely servant leadership. And I think one more very valuable skill I learned was public speaking, mm. which is something that I'm really just getting into in the past year. Um, and I found that when I was asked to go do a presentation or get up on stage, I was nervous, just like everybody is, but it reminded me of how we were taught in the military to brief generals and high-ranking officials mm. in a briefing room. And you go in, you're organized, you're prepared, you get up there and you just exude that confidence, even if you don't feel it. Right. Like imposter syndrome. Yes. That happens to all of us. And I think... Um, there comes a point where you just have to take a deep breath and go, I can do this. Yeah. And that's something I learned in the military. Well, somebody that just watched you present, you're an excellent presenter. Oh, so whatever you're doing you. is working. Thank you so much. <laughs> that's really interesting. I feel like there's such a, a through line in the conversations I have during these interviews at conferences. Yeah. Uh, people are beating the same drum on, on what they look for in people. And what you're talking about, right, is empathy when you're talking about um, yeah. serving a community or a group, right? Or the, your customers, whether that be internal or external. So, yes. um, I'm sure your team is very lucky to have you because oh, I'm sure you. that you're passing that along to them, which is really cool. Thank you. I currently don't manage a team, but I was thinking about it the other day and it doesn't matter if I have people directly reporting to me. Right. Um, and I encourage everyone that's listening to this. If you don't manage people, you can still lead within your organization by setting an example of how to treat other people and how to be respectful to each other. You know, there's always ways in the, in the workplace that you can lead. Sometimes all you have to do is just get to know people and understand what their needs are and say, hey, how can I help you yeah. with that? Like if you have the opportunity and you're not going outside your lane, I think totally. <laughs> that's a great way to build relationships and people are going to look up to you and be like, yeah, she's she's a really great leader because she's an influencer and she cares about the company and about what about what I'm doing. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I'm gonna ask you a fun question, Charity. Okay. Which is, what is just the worst security metaphor or cliche that you've heard <laughs> recently? Oh gosh. <laughs> I feel like this can be kind of triggering to people, so maybe it's just fun for me. Triggering. <laughs> <laughs> um. I can't think of any. <laughs> Honestly, I, I'm blank right now. It's hard. I think people, the second that I ask, they're like, I know that there are probably 50 that destroy my soul every day, but in this moment, I can't think of them, and then you'll go home tonight and be oh, like, gosh. Oh. <laughs> you know what? I, I do have one. There's one particular phrase that really triggers me. Okay. Um, it's kind of a marketing thing. <laughs> they uh, Like, all the salespeople will be like, it's an out-of-the-box solution. <laughs> just out of the box just ready to go out of the box oh when I hear it I just I'm like oh don't say that again please because there's so much work that goes into these tools and implementing yeah. them it's but I get I get it like people want to know they could just you know push a button and, and be right right and it works <laughs> that's like single pane of glass kind yeah. of yeah oh gosh that's, yeah, that one too sorry I've done this to you no, it's, it's totally okay. I'm going to recover from this. 
This is why we have all the parties. We have to survive the metaphors. We just go drink away our sorrows that night. <laughs> exactly. It's been, you know, on that note, though, it's been an honor to, like, um, I, I am a CTI advisor, uh, threat intel advisor and researcher, but I also am working under a marketing team right now, which has been phenomenal. Uh, working for a startup and working directly with their sales and marketing teams, it has opened my eyes to new ways that we can really grow our services and help our customers. Um, so even though I have to deal with these cliches and these little triggering phrases, it's, it's really great to work with these people because they're so enthusiastic about what we're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's great to hear. Yeah. Uh, well, just as we started the interview on a positive note, I would like to end it on a positive note. Uh, InfoSec can be a really thankless job. And so... Who, who inspires you? Oh, gosh. Um, well, I have a few different people that I have as mentors, and they actually work for Insights competitors, and that is just coincidentally. <laughs> um, but my manager, Itai Mayor, he is wonderful. He came from IBM to Insights uh, to help lead our security services and advisory services. Um, he's just a great person, down to earth, loves everyone, treats everybody with respect, and I and I love that. And then I have other mentors in the industry, Michael Anderson. Um, he is a military veteran as well. We met a long time ago before he was on the vendor side, and he has given me advice that is needed in this industry. You know, I go to him to talk to him about what can I expect in my growth? Where should I be looking right now? Is there something I can be doing with training? Or um, he, he, he knows me, so he knows my talents and my skills and you know, really uh, encourages me to grow in those areas and just be my genuine self. Yeah. And I feel like that is so inspiring from, from a mentor and a leader. Yeah. It's just having the encouragement of somebody that knows you and is just like, don't try to be these other people. Just be you and they'll see your value in this industry. So um, definitely those two guys right now. But I have so many people that I look up to in the industry too, especially, you know, women in the industry. Sheryl Sandberg and um, Diana Kelly from Microsoft. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. I'm so glad that uh, you have those people that you're working with so closely. Yeah. That is um, really energizing to be in that type of environment, for yeah. sure. Yeah, great. Well, Charity, thank you so much for your time and thank you for your service as well. I really I appreciate, appreciate it. Yeah, this is fun. Thank you so much. Of course, anytime. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at domaintools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's all we have for this week. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.